What's up, everybody? It's Chef Bay, and you are listening to the Plant Remedy Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I have such an amazing episode for you guys. It's going to be so good. If you're brand new to the show, it's so good to meet you. So nice to have you here. I am a professional plant-based chef. I'm also obviously this podcast host, a cookbook author of the cookbook, Hook, Heal, Go Vegan. And I have been a professional chef for the last 13 years. And I've been an entrepreneur for the last 13 years as well. So I am just super passionate about food. And most recently in the last five to six years, I've become very passionate about the environment, animal welfare, the plant-based movement, social justice, all the things to make this world a better place. And that is essentially what this podcast is all about. So hopefully when you listen to each and every episode of the show, you get little golden nuggets that you can take along with you in your life that can help you, you know, reach the goals that you want to reach or inspire you to go do that thing that you've been putting off or I don't know, just motivate you to do something awesome. And that's really what my big goal is, is to make tiny little changes in the world by having these conversations. I know that I'm a better person because of this podcast, and this is one of those episodes that I feel like really just inspired me and moved me, and I hope that it can do the same for you. Before we get going, if you love the show, I'd be super grateful for a review over on Apple Podcasts, comment on YouTube, or of course a five-star over on Spotify. All of those little things help the show so much. The show is definitely like my passion project. We rarely have ads on here and we keep it that way because we just want to get the information to you and we hope that you know, you love it. So if you do, leaving the reviews, giving us five stars really is the best way to support the show. And of course, sharing with a friend also obviously supports the show so much too. Before we get into this episode and before I announce the guest of this episode, I'm really excited about the timing of this because on my last episode, I talked a lot about diet culture I talked a lot about um, just like getting our blood work done, talking about weight as the weight is a symptom of a bigger problem that's going on. Got a lot of really great feedback from that episode, and I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update. So I got my blood work done, and then for the last, let's say it's been like two weeks, so the last two weeks, I have been taking supplements. I've gotten a new couple nutrient shots and like literally a shot in the bum and um I have been like really regimented about eating more eating breakfast I stopped doing intermittent fasting and I feel like a completely different person so there definitely is so much power into getting your blood work done so you can really see how what you're eating is affecting you and just like your processes your environment your routines all that stuff how that's affecting you And there was something really interesting that I wanted to point out to before we get into this episode is uh, the studies on intermittent fasting and how there's just a lot of things coming out now talking about how intermittent fasting can actually be more harmful to women and how a lot of the studies around fasting has actually been done on men. So when we're looking at hormones, when we're looking at the health of our hormones and our weight and all of the things that we go through as women... um, fasting isn't necessarily the best thing for us. And so that's something that's been really revolutionary for me this month is to really just like stop intermittent fasting, eat as soon as I wake up. And I've just been feeling so much less bloated, so much better. And really 
changing my supplementation to being very specific for what I need rather than just taking a blanketed multivitamin. I'm taking very specific supplements and I feel amazing. So again, this is just your reminder to get your blood work done and to, yeah, like tune in to your body and like really like see what's going on so that you can make the changes. This episode is with Chuck Carroll and I was actually on his podcast. He hosts the exam room podcast with the physicians committee, incredible podcast. It is a massive podcast with like, he said something around like 10 million downloads or something. It's a huge show. I was really honored to be on the show. We had such an incredible conversation that I wanted to do a pod swap and bring him on the show to really hear about his journey. He had an incredible weight loss journey. He was um, experiencing obesity and food addiction, and he just completely altered and transformed his life. And I just, his story is so inspiring the way we talk about food addiction. And I kind of think this episode is a perfect second to last week's episode where last week we were talking about diet culture and the way that we view ourselves and all that stuff. And this is kind of the extreme of weight loss. This is the extreme of food addiction. This is the extreme of, you know, the unhealthy processed foods that we have within our food system. And it's really looking at the difference between weight loss for longevity and health and finding a lifestyle that works for you versus toxicity in diet culture. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's get into this amazing, amazing episode. It's definitely one of my longer episodes, so you might need to kind of like listen to it in two parts, maybe on your way to work, on your way home from work, or a couple different walks with your dogs. It's definitely a longer episode. It is worth the listen. We go through so many different conversations, so many different topics, and it was fun. We just rolled with it, and I was so honored to have him on the show. So without further ado, all right, y'all, I'm sitting with Chuck Carroll. Thank you so much for getting coming on the show. I'm so stoked to have you here. Bay, it's only fair. You did such a great job coming on the exam room. I'm honored to be sharing this space with you. Thanks. I had so much fun on your podcast, and I was honestly so honored to be on the show. It's kind of like a, it's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, if you say so, I just love having great conversations and like every once in a while, somebody comes on whose story transcends health. Mm -hmm. And so getting an hour with you to definitely transcend just the health arena and look at life in totality and how everything factors into every mm -hmm. facet of our being. I was like, man, I cannot wait to talk to this girl again. <laughs> You're so nice. Honestly, I get so nervous to be on other people's podcasts because I feel like I just say anything that's on my mind. I just, I'm like, I go, you know, I say the F word too much. I say all the things, so. <laughs> but it's who you are. Like you're yourself. You can't beat yourself up for that. Come on now. That's true. That's true. So how have you been? Like, what have you been up to since we last talked? What's going on? Ooh, man, you know, I've been traveling the world, seeing some things, recording okay. some shows, doing, you know, you know, just trying to make the world a healthier place, as I like to say. Um, yeah. So big thing coming up. We've Got the show in New York City, the exam room live. I'm like so stoked to be celebrating. We just crossed 15 million downloads of the show. Oh my God. Um, which is awesome. And then like 90, close to 100 million streams on YouTube. So like we're in celebration mode, bottom line. So now we did one in LA that sold out. And now we're doing one in New York. And we've got Rip Esselstyn coming. Uh, mm, my colleague, Dr. 
Dr. Neil Barnard's coming. Rob Osfeld, the cardiologist, uh, is coming, and uh, Dr. Michelle McMacken. There's an exclusive for you. Dr. Michelle McMacken will be there that night as well. Um, but I'm super pumped about Rob Osfeld because the episode that he did was the most viewed by far mm. ever on YouTube. Like we got one and a half million views when he was on because he was talking about the foods that can cause erectile dysfunction. Oh and we went down, literally, I went and I pulled data and I was like, all right, what are the most popular foods in the typical diet? And we go down the top 10 and it was just like every last one of those sons of guns like can contribute to erectile dysfunction. So what are the top my, three? I'm like, now I'm curious. Oh God, man, this was like two years ago. But I mean, it's exactly what you can imagine, right? Pizza is definitely up there. Burgers are up there. And I want to say Ooh. it's fries. Like, and there's your top three, right? Surprise, surprise. Interesting. So yeah. Um, but it was just like going down the list, boom, boom, boom. And it was just like, you'll enjoy dinner, but perhaps not what comes later. Um and and so he just called him like the erectile dysfunction all-stars and we just had a grand time i love rob osfeld have you had him on your show Great i haven't guy. oh yeah you should I'm make that have happen. to yeah he likes to play around a lot i, I love think that you two would hit it off for sure Absolutely. i love that well mm -hmm. that sounds epic i love rip esselstein i've been on his podcast he's been on mine he's like honestly so fun and awesome i love just like his vibe yeah. um and i just actually interviewed neil bernard for my next cookbook so i'm super excited about that so yeah, yeah. we're definitely like in the same circle which i love right on one of these days we'll just team up and take over the world that's what'll happen right yeah i know we'll have okay. to well i'm super curious because i ask everyone this as a chef i think like one of the easiest ways to get to know someone is like what they eat every day so what is like a typical day look like for you with food and like not typical also like your favorite things you know like if you had an ideal day of what you would eat what would it be right so you, you remember that song back in the day leonard skinner's simple man yeah. That's kind of me, right? <laughs> so my favorite snack in the world is carrots and hummus, which okay. old Chuck would say like, that's super boring. Chuck today is like, that's awesome. And then like, let's make it next level with a good piece of bread or some mm. pita or something like that, yeah. right? Simplicity is the key. Yeah. Breakfast is typically oats. Sometimes, uh, you know, just like straight overnight oats, which I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes I will go to the store and just buy some that are dairy free and they're quite tasty. Right. And I even can't. though I know you were telling me before we started rolling, like I see you laughing right now because you're like, it's the easiest damn thing in the world to make. But it's like, you got to remember you're a chef now. Like you're talking to just, you know, just a microphone jockey over here. I know. Um, but anyway, oats with a whole bunch of fruit, it's like really good. It's your standard like healthy vegan breakfast that everybody mm -hmm. seems to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but dinner time is when it can get creative. Mm. I flipping love the kitchen sink salad. And it's different almost every single day. Mm. The principles are the same. Crap ton of greens. Throw some grains on there, throw some beans in there. And then it's like, okay, let's open up the fridge and see what we have in terms of roasted vegetables. I'm a big fan of roasting vegetables mm. in the air fryer. So right now I've got some cauliflower that I've kicked up with uh, some turmeric. I got that uh, recipe actually from Karen Dugan, who runs the Center for Plant-Based Living in the St. Okay. Louis area, STL Veg Girl. I got her uh, cracked cauliflower recipe in there. I got some roasted broccoli in there. Um, I've got 
Uh, what else do I have? Some sweet potatoes. Got to have a sweet potato in there. And this is like a little Gotta have a sweet potato. Tip. Yeah. It's, well, here's the thing, right? I found like so many of the salad dressings that I used to buy back in the day had so much fat in them. So even mm. when I would kid myself and say, hey, it's a salad, it's got to be healthy. I'm like throwing just like umpteen grams of fat on there. But like with a sweet potato, you can actually use that if it's nice and tender roasted. It kind of coats things like a dressing would. Boom, mm. you keep your fat content super, super low. And it really brings out the sweetness and everything else. Got some roasted red peppers in there, some shaved almonds on there. Uh, we may throw a pecan or two on there. I don't know what, what mood's going to strike. Some cherry tomatoes, uh, <laughs> some uh, spicy peppers are going to go in there. And it's just good. And it's a little bit different every single day, but the principle is the same. But I freaking love just piling everything I can into a bowl and then just shaking it up, shaking it up really well so it blends. And it's uh, magnifique. I love that. I think that's like the vegan man special <clears throat> because th that is what my husband would make every night if yeah. he made dinner every night, which he does a lot of the time. But like anytime he makes dinner, it's always some sort of like bowl salad situation. You, who is the culinary genius, has your husband make you dinner? I mean, that's yeah. a lot of pressure for that young man. <laughs> no, Do you he's... realize the pressure that you put on him? Okay. I will say I have trained Steve so that if I like died or fell off the face of the earth, he could do everything that I do. So he's, he's talented at this point. Like when we first met, not the same thing. <laughs> not the Can same we just thing. take a second? You literally just said, I've trained my husband <sighs> and I can hear all the women listening to this right now are like, hell yeah, girl. High five. You know it. You have to. I mean, in more ways than just the kitchen, it's necessary. But no, well, he is my business partner. So it's also like, you know, I've trained him in that sense. But yeah, honestly, I'm so gassed by the end of the day that I never want to eat dinner or make dinner. So he's kind of the glue that just like holds me together. You know what I mean? I got you. He just, I got you. he keeps the, he keeps the machine running. He like, you know, changes the oil and does all the things for the car. Shout you out know, to Steve. Metaphorically You're a good man, sir. Speaking. All right. Make he that is a good dinner, man. Steve. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about your story. If people are not familiar with who you are, what you're about, how you got here, you know, all the struggles and successes along the way, maybe not all of them. I don't know if we have time for all of that, but I would love to hear just your story. You have an incredible story and I, you. I want to hear it also. So okay. give it to well, me. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the long and short of it is, uh, <laughs> I turned 40 last year Congrats. and I did not think I was going to live to see 30 years old at one mm. point. Um, I had put on so much weight so rapidly. My eating was so out of control that my friends had even organized an intervention for me. Uh, because they had grown so concerned over my weight. And the thing of it is, is like I got tipped off to the intervention ahead of time. Mm. And I called up the guy who was organizing it, who had helped me more than maybe anybody else in my professional career, who I counted among my best friends. And I read him the riot act and I cut him out of my life for a number of years because this guy was standing between me and my food addiction. I had to choose between this guy and going to Taco Bell and the pull of fast food for me was so strong that I chose Taco Bell for two years before talking to this guy again. Wow. And it's unbelievable. And, and I did that with a number of other people who are going to be involved 
in that intervention. And so the more and more and more I learn about food and the way that it is literally designed and the recipes are created in fast food kitchens, they are truly made to get you hooked. And there is a good segment of the population who can become ultra hooked like I was, where I mm. could not go a day without going to Taco Bell. And that was just one part of a 10,000 calorie a day binge fest all day, every day. And yeah, wow. like so, so many of us, babe, like I would go up and I would go down the scales and I would have success. I was even paid on the radio. I was paid. I was working at a radio station called WBIG. Those were the call letters. Big 100.3. Quite appropriate. And this diet company came in and they approached me. They wanted me to endorse them to do their diet and lose weight. And I only made it three days without cheating and going right back to Taco Bell. And so what I wound up doing during the course of this endorsement was going to the gym for like two and a half, three hours a day. And when you're close to 400 pounds at that point, you're burning a ton of calories. Yeah. So I was able to do that, lose weight and still continue to go to the drive-through every single day and then just go on the air and blatantly lie mm. and say that this particular diet was the gem. But of course, as soon as that endorsement ended, uh, it was, you know, game on. I stopped going to the gym, didn't care. And the weight just exploded back on me. And um, that's when the group wanted to organize the intervention. Um, so how old were you when your food addiction started? Like, do you remember kind of like the turning point when it got really bad? Or was it like part of your childhood? Or kind of like, where did this all come from? I mean, you, you can't pick one particular day when you, you kind of wake up and you're like, oh crap, I'm hooked on food. Yeah. Um, but looking back, I mean, the seeds for it were certainly planted at a very young age. I mean, my brother and I came from very humble beginnings. You know, utilities were constantly being turned off, not a lot mm -hmm. of money. And, you know, mom was doing the best that she could. And a lot of times that meant, you know, trips to the drive-through after she got off of work. And that's after my brother and I had gone to uh, our grandma's house, our dad's mom, and she would feed us like, you know, macaroni and cheese. She didn't have any money either. It was like mm -hmm. potato chips, baked beans, macaroni and cheese, uh, burgers, frozen pizzas, like whatever was super, super, super cheap at the grocery store, ultra processed, ultra high in fat, ultra bad for you. And when you introduce that to your palate, and that's basically the extent of everything that you're eating day in and day out, it's like you get hooked and you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so by the time I'm in the third grade, I'm already over a hundred pounds and just mortified of the fact that I was the only one in my class that was in triple digits at that young mm -hmm. age. And I remember even telling an adult there, like, I got to go on a diet. And the adult kind of looked at me and half laughed and half had pity in their eyes. And and that kind of stuck with me. But the addiction, it just grew and grew. And like, by the time I was 14, I was already on high blood pressure medication. It was just crazy. Oh, man, that's, there's like so many little aspects to that too, because not only are there so many kids who are dealing with that right now, right? There's also the aspect of like, the fact that you don't have access to healthy food if you don't have money, right? And the fact that like dairy 
and meat and ultra processed food is subsidized from the government, but like healthy plant foods are not. And like, that is just such a systemic issue that causes this very almost common story to happen to so many people. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) you, you fall into this trap and, Mm -hmm. uh, it's once you're in it, it's like, I hypothesize that even if your means improve, your palate doesn't necessarily because it's what you're hooked on. Right. So even as I grew professionally and I was able to afford different things, I still opted for the junk because it had its hooks in me so deeply and from such a young age. And we're seeing more and more and more of it, but for whatever reason, our eyes by and large as a society still aren't necessarily open to that because it's so normalized. Even Mm -hmm. as we see the rates of childhood obesity, adult obesity, chronic diseases, they continue to go through the roof. And every piece of like research that I see, like traces it right back to food. We still don't look at food in the same way that we do drugs and alcohol and other substances that cause us harm. When in reality, the food on a larger scale does this like 10, 20 times to the effect that drugs and alcohol do. Like, it's just yeah, incredible how many people struggle with this. Oh, 100%. I mean, if you look at the chronic illness industry, it is the biggest industry in the world mm. and it's, it's insane. It's huge. And it's crazy you know, everyone is panicked. I talk about this all the time, but everyone was panicked when COVID was happening because of all the people dying every day of COVID. But in my mind, I was like, this is how many people are dying a day of heart disease and no one blinks an eye. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And, you know, what really kind of alarms me, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here. It just means that we got to work harder to do what it is that we do to get this message out there. Right. But what alarms me is you see, you know, as we kind of emerge from the pandemic, now we're getting the data of, you know, um, you know, weight gain, disease Mm. prevalence, all of these incidents during the pandemic. And you saw the numbers actually get worse, even Mm. though we knew that, you know, all of these comorbidities excess weight, high blood pressure, diabetes, these are big time risk factors for COVID. Mm. But yet, like we all turn to comfort food that increase the risk of having these complications. And and we got heavier and we got sicker. And it's just like, damn, like we really got to rethink some things here. We absolutely have to rethink some things. 100%. And I mean, there was never any real like public, you know, governmental or whatever conversation around our health. It was only around masking and vaccines and stuff. It was never around like, okay, how are we all going to boost our immune systems, be healthier, decrease our risks of what's going on? So yeah, there's, it's such a big conversation. There's so much work to be done, but I think, you know, we're chipping away at it. I think over, you know, over time people are understanding. I think if people like you and me can heal from the things that we've been able to heal from, I think that gives a lot of hope for a lot of people. It's just, you know, getting the message out there. It absolutely does. We just got to keep destigmatizing it, right? I mean, think about back in the day, right? When you mm-hmm. heard the term vegan, right? What yeah. did you think about? What? Because for me, it was like a tie-dyed hippie who was hugging a tree, probably smoking way too much weed and yeah. just living life on another planet, essentially. I thought when vegans in reality, were nuts. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But the reality is like- mm-hmm. th- Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, yeah, people like that exist, but they exist whether or not they're vegan. So really that stereotype is just hysterically way off base. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's so true. Okay. Well, going back to your story. Yeah. So, okay. You're eating 10,000 calories a day, <clears throat> which I have a hard time like wrapping my head around that because I have a hard time getting 2000 calories a day. You know, like I have to like rem- remind myself to eat throughout the day. So what does 10,000 calories a day look like? Oh man. <laughs> it looks like a lot. Um, like you have but, to just constantly be eating, right? To get that kind would, of caloric would, intake. Yes. Yeah. More more or less, <clears throat> there was there were essentially were four big feasts during okay. the day. Um, but the thing is the way my mind works told me I was still eating relatively healthy at points. Mm. Example, never ate breakfast because I wanted to save calories. I thought that um, by skipping breakfast, I would save calories that would keep the weight down. Nothing could be further from the truth. So my day began at Boston Market, where I would go. And I thought this was healthy, right? We're Boston talking about market. <clears throat> throwing it back. Holla. I haven't thought about Boston Market in a long time. Uh, but they still exist. It's Do still- they? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. So Sorry. Go with- That's cool. I would get like a half of a chicken. Okay. And then three big sides, right? So I get basically a family meal. And the sides were typically like mashed potatoes and gravy. I didn't think that was too bad. Uh, Macaroni and cheese, perhaps a little bit of an indulgence. But then to keep it super healthy, creamed spinach. Mm. I didn't think that it was going to be loaded with fat and calories and all of that stuff, which obviously it was, right? It was basically cream with a little bit of spinach in there. So not the healthiest thing, sometimes cornbread, but then also uh, diet lemonade, zero calorie to make Ooh. sure that uh, I was really watching my waist. So that that was lunch. And then I would uh, get back to my desk, complete the workday, stop off at 7-Eleven on the way home. And right next to the hot dogs, they have these things called taquitos. And I would get six buffalo chicken taquitos plus two big bottles of Gatorade. And that was a snack for me going home when i got home pizza time we used to get the coupons in the mail that was like buy four pizzas get the fifth free clearly meant for an office i didn't need to have an all-staff meeting to know that this was a deal for this guy so i would eat like a pizza and a half or two pizzas wait a couple of hours and then and then go to taco bell where i was on a first name basis with everyone there and Mm. taco bell was where I would do the bulk of my damage. I mean, half of my calories came from Taco Bell alone. One trip was well over 10,000 milligrams of sodium too. Um, So no surprise that my blood pressure was as crazy high as it was. And I mean, I can run down that menu. I will never forget that. Like if if you're curious, I can tell you the Taco Bell, the order. Like I can recite that from- from Yeah, what did you get? I feel like I have to know now. Okay, it was two seven layer burritos. Two beef grilled stuffed burritos, a chicken quesadilla, a nachos bel grande, a cheesy potato burrito, which was nothing but like fried potato wedges with some of their like cheap chili, ground beef chili, nacho cheese sauce rolled into a tortilla. And they called that the cheesy potato burrito. Holy God, that thing was just pure evil, but delicious at the same time. (laughs) And, and and then uh, because I was such a good customer, they would give me the free caramel empanada more often than not. Oh man! And, and so you get the the nachos, like the five burritos, the the chicken quesadilla, 
I mean, that added up very quickly to uh, the 5,000 calories there. And it wasn't like I was just ordering like the little itty bitty tacos. Like I'm getting like the biggest the big stuff ones. that they had on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about like Taco Bell having vegan options now? I just posted about this on Instagram today. Oh, did you? I did. It's You're a hot talking. topic. It's a hot it topic. Is. <laughs> the Crunchwrap Supreme has gone vegan in select locations. Try it while supplies last. Yeah. Um, Except don't. So I applaud that from an environmental and obviously animal welfare standpoint. I think mm -hmm. once you get in this space, it's kind of hard not to have compassion for both your health, the animals and the environment. Um, so I applaud them for two out of the three, but I think that you're really kidding yourself if you think that somehow the vegan crunch wrap supreme is a much healthier option than its uh, traditional brother, shall mm -hmm. I say? Um, mm -hmm. Potentially less cholesterol. I, I, I would venture to say less cholesterol, but other than that, I mean, you're still looking at a sodium bomb, a caloric bomb, a fat mm -hmm. bomb, and in no universe. Uh, are those three things healthy when eaten in abundance? And that's exactly what you're getting with the vegan Crunchwrap Supreme. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I like, I saw the vegan Crunchwrap Supreme and I haven't had Taco Bell in forever. I used to eat Taco Bell all the time in high school myself. And I was like, I don't even know if I could walk in to a Taco Bell at this point. Like, I just don't think I could even like go in to the Taco Bell to order the crunch wrap, like, I don't know. It seems like I'm like, ah, oh, I like that they have it. But at the same time, you know, I, in a perfect world, I would prefer all fast food to be just all vegan. It would still be junk, but like, at least we're getting, like you said, the two out of the three, but yeah, yeah. I was interested to hear your perspective on that. I mean, it, it, it goes back to like, just because it's vegan doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. Mm. And also, you know, like why, why, personally, why would I want to do that? Because I, I kind of look at if I were to eat that Crunchwrap Supreme, I'd be celebrating what, 13 years of uh, food sobriety yeah. by like indulging in my vice. It's like, okay, yeah. uh, I haven't had That's a drink true. in 13 years. Let me have a beer. I haven't had a cigarette in 13 years. Let me light up. Like it doesn't compute, but most of us don't look at food in the same way. And these are the conversations that are really really love to have with people is getting them to rethink that relationship with food. Because think about it. How often do you hear about somebody saying, man, I'm going to lose these 20 pounds. I'm going to fit into this dress. I'm going to go to, you know, this wedding. It's, I'm going to look great. And as soon as I get home that night, I'm going to have a big old slice of chocolate cake. And they do. And what happens? Yeah. That one slice of chocolate cake is so good. They have some more the next day. And then the day after that, maybe they, you know, I've been really good. I was so good for so long. I lost all this weight. Let me go to the drive-thru. I'll be okay. And then the next thing you know, the scale, the scale starts to creep back up. Right? Yeah. All of the health problems that they were having, they start to reoccur. And oh, by the way, that dress that they worked so hard to get into no longer fits anymore. So Again. what I think, I mean, so this reminds me of um, like the fitness does this remind me of you know the fitness what am i trying to say like fitness competitions where yeah. you shred super hard you work out mm -hmm. super hard you're constantly counting your macros yep. which to me is gives gives very restricted disordered eating and then they get crazy skinny and fit and whatever and then they walk on a stage i'm not hating on anyone that does this but i'm just kind of talking about 
this crazy yo-yo that happens when you do that. And this is what it reminds me of because then all of a sudden they go and they do this fitness thing and they do the competition. And then afterwards you see all these videos online of them eating like 12 cookies and a whole pizza to themselves and all this stuff because they haven't eaten in however long. And I'm just like, damn, like this is totally defeating the purpose of you trying to be on this fitness journey because you've clearly been unhappy and miserable getting to this point. And I think where I'm going with this is like, I would love to talk to you about the difference between finding a lifestyle that can help you positively lose weight for your health, for your longevity, for all of the things that come with being overweight versus getting trapped in diet culture, which is yo-yo dieting, which is just what you said, like just dieting, just to fit into a dress. And then once you fit into the dress, like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to fall back. And I would love to kind of hear your opinion on finding your way between that. Cause I know it can be so hard, not just for women, but for men too, trying to find, you know, also like that self-love and self-compassion that I just don't think is on the table with diet culture. You know, like, I just don't think it's there. I think a lot of times we get into diet culture out of self-hate versus being like, damn, I really want to do better for myself. So I would love to hear your opinion on it. Yeah. I think it took me a while to understand when people were like, well, weight loss is more than just weight loss. I was like, BS, man, like weight weight loss is weight loss is weight loss. It's black and white, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It is like finally kind of having that self-love. To this day, it's something in all honesty I wrestle with, right? Like I'm the kind of guy that almost prides himself on being a martyr and putting everybody else above himself, Mm -hmm. which fundamentally sounds great. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of scars that are created by that. And it's like, if you don't feel like you have the self-worth, if you don't feel like you're worth as much as anybody else, then you're going to continue to harm yourself. And that includes like trying to reach these supposedly, um, healthy lifestyles that you see on Instagram all the damn time. And the other thing that people like, also don't realize is like when you see these big cheat days that are posted my my wife is notorious for sending me instagram reels that the rock has posted of his cheat meals which are just enormous and i'm like but you realize like this dude is like superhuman and he's like working out all the time and there's a reason why he's got muscles instead of a whole lot of flab. Now I can't talk to his cholesterol levels or blood pressure or anything else that's going on with him. I can only talk about what we see on the outside. The thing is the average person who is not working out, right? Mm -hmm. This seven, eight days a week, whatever the case may be, they're going to see that. And they look at a person like the rock, Dwayne, and they're like, man, well, he's healthy and he's eating this. So I can eat this too. And I can be healthy. And because they idolize The Rock and they want to be like The Rock, they're going to go down this road like The Rock. But the difference is they're eating like that, maybe not to that extent um, every day, but I guarantee you that they're having more cheat days than not. And that gets them into like this warped reality where they're considering things like 
two buckets of fried chicken to be healthy, a pizza to be healthy, uh, an entire pizza to be healthy, mm -hmm. you know, an entire pint of ice cream or like a pancake stack that's as high as, you know, the day is long. Like, it's just incredible the volume of food that the guy's eating. And if this supposedly healthy guy is doing it, well, then ergo, it must be healthy. And if we want to strive to be like this guy, this is what we must do. And it's as distorted as thinking that you have to have that chiseled eight pack, not even a six pack, an eight pack in order to be somebody, right? Right. That's not true. You got to stop looking at everybody else. You got to stop listening to everybody else. And the only voice that you need really is the one that you've been hearing your entire life. Give that voice a chance to be heard. Mm. And that's literally what separated this past 13 years of health success versus everything that I had prior to that in my struggles was where I was looking for that one size fits all. Everybody else knows more than I do. So I have to listen to them. Mm. That's bull. It's like, you know what works best for you. And so there are going to be parts of every little story and every little plan that you hear that are going to work for you. And you take one from The Rock and then you take one over here from Chef Bay and then you take one from the Exam Room podcast or Dr. Will Bolsowitz or Dr. Jim Loomis or the Doc and Chef, whomever. And you put all of these plans together and you put them together like a puzzle for you. Mm. And that's what works for you. It is your diet plan built on fundamentals, but then you tweak them for yourself. And then once you realize that you can do that and you get this confidence and you realize that, yeah, I am just as good as anybody else, you start to prioritize your health and you realize I may never look like the rock and that's okay. But you know what? I'm taking the best care that I can of myself possible. And you're not shortchanging it anymore. Yeah. And so stop listening and looking at the bull and start listening to yourself. And that makes a huge difference. Totally. I mean, and what I'm hearing is like, you know, it's really just drowning out the noise because that's what I really feel like diet culture is. It's just a bunch of noise and tapping into yourself and just like finding a lifestyle that works for you. That doesn't feel like it's this temporary restrictive diet, because I feel like a lot of times that temporariness is we're like, Oh, I'll just get to the end of the month and then it's yep. fine. You know, yep. it's that like longevity and that consistency, consistency. And that's something that I struggle with too, is like having that longevity, having those, you know, consistent patterns. Like when I went to culinary school, I gained 30 pounds and like three weeks. Cause all I was eating was butter and pork belly. You know what I mean? It right wasn't, on. it wasn't fast food. It wasn't processed food, but it was like super crazy, rich French food. And, you know, I think getting out of that mindset was also really hard for me as well, because it's like, well, shit, this is how I learned how to cook. Like, how am I going to cook anything else? You know? So it's finding that lifestyle. But did you find some fundamentals, even though you were like dealing with the cheese and the cream and the pork belly, were you still able to take any of those fundamentals and oh, apply yeah. it to the healthier dishes that you're cooking? Today? Oh my God. Yeah. It's all about building flavor, you know? And when you really think about it, flavor doesn't, I mean, some flavor, okay. If you want to be lazy, flavor comes from animal fat and salt. However, the most complex flavors that you'll ever try always come from cooking techniques and layering plant flavors, plant foods, right? Mm -hmm. You get citrus and herbs and spices and how you cook something, how you braise something, how you sear something, whether you cook it slow or really quickly, that is how you really develop flavor. And I think it is a trap that a lot of um, like I think Americans mostly are stuck in where we think that flavor comes from animal fat. 
and it does, mm. but it's lazy. It's a lazy way to get flavor, you know, like even the fat from nuts paired with citrus paired with herbs paired, you know, you can pair it with all these other things. You can like stretch it out is so much more complex and interesting to me than just like cream from a cow, you know? I love the way you put that. It's a lazy flavor. It's I never flavor. thought of it like that because you keep going back to it time and time. And it's time the same and thing. It always tastes the same. And that's what yeah. I find to be so interesting in this book that I'm writing. I will admit I have had to like have tiny little tastes of regular cheese because I'm like trying to make a dairy-free cookbook and I don't remember what cheese tastes like. <laughs> and it's also weird. Like I just don't under, it's so weird. It's so fattening. It's so like, um, it's so much fat on the palate that like yeah. it's, I don't taste anything else but that. Do, do you, did you crave it again? Like the next day after you sampled it, you did. I was okay. disgusted. Interesting. I was disgusted. I also like, because I'm writing a book about breaking up with dairy, I've also done so much research about the dairy industry recently, like way more than I have in the past, which I would think was a lot in the past, but now I'm so repulsed by anything dairy that like, I was like, God, I can't believe I have to do this right now. But I like had to just to get the flavors like perfect. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely did not crave it. It was, I was repulsed. <laughs> like I am so scared to even try any of the old foods because mm. I just don't want to open up Pandora's box. Yeah. And there are people um, who, you know, are, are way more flexitarian um, than I am. And they, you know, they seem to do just fine. But again, going back to what it was we were talking about and trusting the voice in your head and trusting yeah. your gut. It's like my gut, my head is screaming at me. Like, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Do don't it. do it. So I won't do it. Right. Because I think, I, yeah. I think back to like all the failed diets and the one mm. time when I would tell myself, ah, I got this, no problem. And then it was, it was like all over. I call it the one nacho theory. Like mm. some people can't have one nacho or one cigarette. Another. Yeah. Like, Exactly. It's true. Exactly. I do think though that education is, especially in regards to food, is so powerful. I think mm -hmm. we are so uneducated in general around where our food comes from, how it affects us, even from things to like chemicals, pesticides, um, agriculture workers, slaughterhouses, like factory farms, all of this stuff. We're so uneducated as to where our food comes from. We just see it in this pretty package at the grocery store. We go to restaurants or we just assume it's coming from a good place because it's beautifully plated and it's delicious. We don't understand where it comes from. So the more that you educate yourself on the food system, the more you educate yourself on where all this stuff is really coming from, I think that is one of the most powerful tools that you can have to really change your lifestyle because- once you pull your head out of the sand, it's really hard to stick it back in there, you know? <laughs> for real, for real. I mean, knowledge is power. Uh, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons had that right back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely, uh, I, I agree with you. But that said, I think the traumatic experiences I had with rapid weight gain back in the yeah. day, I mean, they, they've scared me straight to borrow another pun. And, and so like, mm -hmm. I, even though I know what I do now, I still don't trust that I would be able to control myself. Like I'm, yeah. you know, really studying the science of food addiction. I've been working very closely with a neuroscientist from the university of Miami, a woman by the name of Dr. Mickey Witt. Mm. And we're building this incredible database of foods. And we've been able to 
um, put like 30 some odd variables together and weight them differently, appropriately, and determine the likelihood or to the extent to which a food is likely to be addicted. And we can show a dose response. So like we have been able to quantify, like we can take a regular old russet potato, right? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'll, yeah. I'll give you like a, a rough, rough estimate here. We can take a russet potato and out of a scale of a hundred, we call it the so simple scale, you know, it's going to be like about a seven, a six or a seven in terms of addictiveness. But then when you cut it up into thin little slices and you drop it into this hot bubbling oil, and then you pull it out once it's crispy, and then you sprinkle a whole lot of salt on top of it, or sometimes even cheese to go with it. Mm -hmm. The probability of addictiveness shoots all the way up into the 60s. And that's just a single serving. But who eats just like five or six potato chips, right? It's nothing no to one. plow through an entire can of Pringles mm -hmm. or bag of Lay's potato chips. Right. Yeah. So then the the addictiveness because of the dose response, you're eating more fat and more salt and potentially more cheese. It goes up and up and up and up and up. The more you eat, the more likely you are to become addicted to it. And so like you were talking about like ultra processed food or the processed food industry a little bit earlier. And like this is it in a nutshell, like it is designed to get us hooked and to wreck our health, which. I mean, it sounds conspiracy theorish to me, like where's that boy's tin hat? But I'm telling you, it's the God's honest oh, truth. So, there is a so reason. Real. There's a I reason mean, why our obesity rates continue to climb. Why is there milk powder all over Pringles? <laughs> because it's it, addicting. Hello. hello. <laughs> right. I mean, like yeah. it's it's nuts. It's mm -hmm. nuts. Um, and so we're able to do that and and show things like a regular cheeseburger versus a double cheeseburger and the response there same thing for a regular slice of pepperoni pizza versus pepperoni or meat lovers pizza mm. like the jumps are just insane but then like the cool thing is it's like we're also like well we don't want to be in a, a like a bucket of cold water on your entire culinary life we don't want to tell you never to eat those things again so here are some healthier whole food plant-based options for this, right? That's Here's how to in. recreate it. Mm -hmm. This is why you are truly doing the Lord's work because <laughs> you are able to like show people like, no, mm -hmm. you don't have to pick up the phone and open up your Domino's app and order a pizza. It doesn't have to be that way. You can create a freaking pizza masterpiece in your kitchen. Yeah. And it is just going to taste extraordinary. Absolutely mm -hmm. extraordinary. And I that's always, comforting. Yeah. I talk about this too, like when it comes to cheese alone, because when we talk about cheese, cheese is so addicting, just itself, the hormones in cheese, the way it affects our brain, like all that stuff. When you have, this is why people think that vegan cheese is just never going to cut it because it doesn't activate that addictive quality, right? Even if it has oil in it, even if it has salt on it, there's absolutely no, it doesn't even compare to the addictive qualities that are in regular dairy cheese. And so that's why I'm always like, yeah, but if you eat something with vegan cheese, even if it's a processed food with vegan cheese on it, you're going to have half as much. You're going to want way less of it because there's no dairy on it. And right. that alone is like such a big, it's just like, a. it's not, you know, it's still a vegan processed food, but it's still a step in the right direction to not needing to have like the entire thing. Right. No case of morphine's there. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that, that really kind of helps things out. Um, 
you know, and hold on, I, I want to pull pull up the uh, which foods aren't addictive, just so people kind of know. Okay. Um, I, I got a, a few numbers here from the database. So if you're looking for food that absolutely positively uh, is not addictive whatsoever, but is still absolutely delicious, uh, two of my favorites uh, are two that I actually eat every day. Uh, broccoli, love broccoli. I knew you were going to say that. You cannot get addicted to broccoli. And I don't know how you knew I was going to say broccoli, but all right. Welcome I knew you the... were going to say that because my husband is currently addicted to broccolini. Like he can't stop eating it. See, I mean, we're going to put addicted to because you <laughs> love the flavor, right? But there's there's yeah. not going to be a withdrawal, right? That's true. Um, and we haven't even talked about withdrawal from this stuff. Like I, one time I went three days without Taco Bell, got so pissed off. I punched my fist through a door. Like, really? Yeah. Legit. Wow. Legit happened. Um. Uh, so broccoli is non-addictive. Strawberries also zero, uh, zero chance that you're going to get addicted to strawberries. These are like my Delicious. two favorite plant foods. There I you love go. Them. I literally eat great. strawberries every night before bed. You're doing great. So, you know, wow. that, yeah, corn, blueberries, sweet potatoes, apples, all of that score really, really, really low. But then you get into like, you know, the pizza territory. Um, 62 out of a hundred for the pepperoni lovers. Uh, one of the more addictive ones is a double cheeseburger from McDonald's. No mm. shocker there. A lot of yeah. fat, a lot of salt, plus the cheese effect on top of that. What about bread? I would have to pull that up and it, it definitely depends on what's in the bread, what is in the bread. So if you have a bread that contains um, some dairy in it. And certainly mm. a lot of breads will add sugar to it. And uh, you do see some uh, increased addictive properties in bread there. So like white bread is going to score completely differently than say a slice of sourdough or whole right. wheat, something that's right. less refined. Because uh, a white bread also doesn't have a whole lot of fiber. And mm -mm. what we have found so far preliminarily is that fiber is also another key to really knocking down the probability that something is addictive. There's not a whole heck of a lot of fiber in the cheeseburger, right? Other than the bun, which by the way, is a white bread bun. Yeah. I think this is such an important conversation because, you know, I've talked about this when going vegan, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm swimming upstream. But I think anything like when you're trying to eat healthier, when you're trying to get rid of a food addiction, when you're trying to break a habit, it can feel like you're out on an island all by yourself because if your whole family is participating in this, if it's a cultural thing, if it's a, you know, it's like the same with alcohol. Like I have a very hard time hanging out with my family, not having cocktails because that's just part of our family's culture. We just have cocktails, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that can be so hard, especially with food, because there's so much pressure to continue to do what everyone's doing because that's just the way that we've been doing it forever. And I think that can just be so so hard for people and talking about it in a way where like, no, this is addictive. This is de causing detrimental effects to your health long-term and in the short term and opening up this conversation to where we're looking at it differently. I think it's going to like allow people to be able to face that and be able to really have the support to change. Because I think especially in the United States right now, there's not a lot of support when it comes to it. I mean, you look at just subsidies, you look at these industries, you look at fast food and it's just everywhere. And I think people just have such a hard time getting to that next step because it's just so ingrained in like the everyday culture living here. 
and you are far from the only person who struggles in those types of situations, yeah. you know, whether it's food or of alcohol course. or whatever. I mean, it does, it took some practice uh, for me to become this way, but um, where I could go to, you know, family get together or whatever and be completely okay. Like you just figure out how to put together something that's, you know, healthy that you're going to eat and not make a big deal of, out of it. Um, and people are going to offer you this, or they're going to offer you that. And you just have to become the king or queen of bullshit, excuse my language. Um, so that there aren't awkward conversations. Right. So if, if it were alcohol, I'd just be like, ah, I can't, I'm on this medication. I'm not supposed to drink with it or, Oh, I've got this procedure tomorrow. I'm not allowed to drink. So, you know, I just, I gotta be good today. I gotta be a teetotaler. Right. So it is, mm -hmm. it's a little white lie, but it's easier. And I do not encourage lying, but it's easier to tell that little white lie in that mm -hmm. case than to like have this potentially combative and awkward conversation. Right. If you're having this reservation, this apprehension to even have it, then don't because yeah. it's not going to end well for you. So just become a BS artist, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever your story is. And if it's a story that's plausible, one that everybody could understand, i.e. I've got this procedure or I'm on this medication, nobody's really going to question you. Or bring food, which I think is important too. Like bring mac and cheese, bring like the yeah. food that everyone's like very familiar with that is a plant-based version or that's a version that is healthier, that's doing something better for you that you know people are going to like and they won't even question it. And then that way you're still kind of eating with everyone and you're not necessarily like, just like, no, I'm good. Same goes with mocktails or if someone pours you a cocktail, just go to the bathroom yeah. every 20 minutes and pour out a little bit of your cocktail. <laughs> Again, little white lies. That's, that's, pretty, that's the same thing, man. But like, but like, so when you're thinking about the food that you bring, don't, don't be bringing some funky vegan dish. Like, don't be bringing like barbecued tofu, tofu skewers or something like that. Don't be bringing no broccolini, this or that, like bring some friggin' baked beans, right? Mm -hmm. Bring a little salad, bring something that is on typically anybody's menu that just chili. happens to be vegan anyway, yeah. right? Chili, perfect example, right? You don't have to make a big deal or prove just how vegan you are. Like you're shooting yourself in the foot at that point. 100%. Everybody's already familiar with. That's literally like yeah. bread and butter of my recipes because I'm like, we all need to just meet where we all feel the most comfortable, the most comforted, the most loved, Preach. Preach. which is all this stuff. Quick question. How are you doing on time? I have a couple I'm more a, questions. Whatever, You're good. Man, you know, I'm good okay. for another hour. You, you just keep talking. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> love that. Love that. Well, okay. So I want to go back to your story because we just went on like the longest tangent, which I absolutely love, <laughs> but I want to know when was your breaking point? When did you look at yourself and say, I'm over this. I'm done. Did that happen? Like, how did this change? Cause you're a totally different guy now. So like, how did you get from where you were then to where you are now? It's never one thing. Mm. I don't, in most cases, it's not going to be one thing. It's, it's going to be a culmination of things in which case that straw that broke the camel's back, which is a completely unvegan saying, but whatever, mm. um, is it's irrelevant, right? That just happened to be the last straw. But for me, there were three big things that got me down there. Number one was the intervention that my friends had organized. Um, number two was the realization that if I was not going to live to see 30, I was going uh, or I was going to die before 30 if I did not make some changes because I never met my father's father, 
who died before I was born. He had had mm. heart attack after heart attack after heart attack before he eventually died. And then on my mother's side, my grandfather there had quadruple bypass surgery. had had a number of heart attacks. My own father was having heart issues. And I am just outpacing everyone in the weight department up to 420 pounds. And I'm 5'5", five, five, right? I'm 5'5", wow. five, five, and I had a 66-inch waist. And I couldn't walk more than 10 feet without it feeling like an elephant was sitting on my chest. Like my heart was going to literally explode. I could not breathe. And so when you're dealing with that and you know what the ramifications are, like living is a hell of a motivator. So I'm going through that in my 20s. But oh, by the way, like take that out of the equation. I was dating a girl who refused to even acknowledge that we were in a relationship. And every single day, Bay, I'm telling you, I would ask her, can we tell our friends? Can we tell our family? Can we tell some of our colleagues? And she would just say, no. We yeah. have to keep this talked. And the only reason why I could think that she wanted it that way was because she was ashamed to be with someone who was my size, right? So that sucked, not feeling like you're good enough. But then, you know, I was telling you also about that that realization that I was hooked on food. It was like, I substance abuse runs in my family and I was able to have this epiphany thanks to the cookie diet. That was the one that I endorsed where I got to day three and like lost my S because mm. I hadn't had Taco Bell. I got so angry. I punched my fist through a wall and then through a door. I was like, when I took that first bite and I snuck out of the house literally after midnight in the middle of the night to find a 24 hour drive through because I just couldn't take it anymore. When I took that first bite, it was like suddenly all of that anger and that physical sickness that I was feeling washed away mm. instantaneously. And it was so similar to what my family members had told me in terms of when they had relapsed with things like drugs and alcohol. And I was like, holy sh Nikes, like I've got myself a real problem. But even with that epiphany, it took years. But I will tell you this, the final, final straw was a cross-country flight that I had to take. And I hadn't flown since I was like a wee little kid. And I knew the seats were notoriously small. And for weeks, I'm praying to God. I'm not the most religious guy, but me and God, we were thick as thieves for a hot minute there. Yeah. And like I'm, every day, like, God, please, you know, I will do whatever you want. Let me fit in the seat. Dear God, please let me fit in the seat. Whatever you need, let me know. Every single day. And the prayers would get intense as the weeks drew on and the day to travel came and I'm praying right up until the moment that I board the plane and I made that right hand turn to go up the aisle. But what dawned on me then was I was not the only guy praying on that flight. It seemed like literally once I turned to go up the aisle, everybody stopped what they were doing right then and there and they started to pray as well. But they weren't praying, dear God, please let that guy fit into a seat. They were praying, dear God, please don't let that guy sit next to me. And to hear the size of relief with every road that I would pass was heartbreaking. And the stares and the fear in their face that I would see as I was approaching, you know, is, is it going to be this? Oh, God, please don't let it be this guy. Oh. 
and I would see that and my heart would break and I got a seat all the way in the back of the plane. And I sat down and I was like, God, this is, this is the moment of truth. And I go to buckle the seat and it wasn't even close. Mm. It wasn't even close. And I was like crushed and I'm thinking, okay, well, like maybe if I lift up my enormous belly and I try to slide the seatbelt underneath of that, then that can work and we can take off. But again, not even close. So I had to get up out of my seat and walk all the way back to the front of the plane and ask the flight attendant for a seatbelt extender so that we could take off. And instead of, you know, the looks of fear, it was more like snickering and the look in the passenger's eyes who were like, how in the hell did he get that big? Right. Mm. So it's just like more little daggers to the heart, you know, and this was a cross country flight. There were a lot of people on there. So it was like, I was feeling really crappy about life then. And uh, I had a lot to think about coming home that trip and um, made some changes shortly thereafter. Oh man, all the feels. I feel like, <laughs> you know, from the other people, I think as a culture, we're not super compassionate towards other people going through most things. And I think that is right there, just a lesson and a reminder that you have like no idea what someone's going through. You have no idea what's going on in someone's head and to be compassionate to that person, you know, because it, for me, it's hard to imagine you as that person looking at you now, but you know, you've been through so much and that is such a powerful yet traumatizing turn turning point for sure. Do you think that's why you like avoided travel, why you hadn't traveled in so long? Yeah. I mean, that was part of it. The other part of it was I didn't have a job that called for it like I do now. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. But I, I mean, I really didn't have the desire to to go and travel anywhere. I mean, why would I? I mean, it was uncomfortable for me to move. Mm. Um, and so I would rather just be kind of surrounded by my comforts, you know, my, my Taco Bell, which was at the yeah. ready pizza, which I could dial up and order at any point, you know, whatever it yeah. is that I wanted. It was always right there uh, at my fingertips. And, um, and I used to like get anxiety, right? Like, am I going to make it to Taco Bell before they close? Like, crap, do I have to drive cross town to get to the 24 hour Taco Bell? Are they going to be open? Like, I don't know. And I would like lose sleep over this stuff. Like it was, it was crazy. And so then like, I was like, well, it's not like it was back then. So like 15 years ago, I think, you know, I don't know if you could hop on Google just yet. You probably could and like figure out what the hours at all the Taco Bells were and yeah. like scout that out. Mm -hmm. But I just, I had my routines and I was set on them and I was so yeah. hooked in, in addiction. It was just like, all I cared about was getting my fix, man. Literally all I cared about. So, okay. You had this moment and then how did you turn it around? You know, cause like getting from that to now there's a lot, there's a lot that probably happened. So like, what were some of like the most profound things that you went through and how did you like surprise yourself during, during that process? As far as like the actual as, like weight loss, process as far or? as the actual weight loss part, because, you know, you have to change your entire perspective on everything. You have to change your habits. You know, you said you were so deep in it. So I'm just interested in, you know, the journey. Here's, yeah. So here's where I got lucky, right? Um, I was so scared of dying that I opted to have weight loss surgery. 
Hmm. And what they will tell you, and if anybody takes the time to look at this, is that the statistics will show that, you know, while a person may keep the weight off a little bit longer, essentially weight loss surgery is no different than any other diet. Because what you do not get is a comprehensive um, course on how to eat properly. Hmm. It's all about portion size and controlling your portions. But you and I, based off of the fact that we had just talked about this earlier, know that, well, if foods are super addictive, right, you're starting with just eh, one beer, but then, you know, you, your tolerance builds back up. And the next thing you know, you need more beer to get that same buzz. So you're drinking two and then three. Well, food works the same way. And the stomach is a balloon. Mm -hmm. So it, it expands. It's elastic. So you can eat more and more and more to get that same kind of high. You know, the doctors want to give it a, you know, a fun term and call it satiety. I call it getting high because you get happy every time that you eat, um, mm -hmm. basically. And so I knew that. And so waking up from the procedure that day, like suddenly Taco Bell was the enemy. McDonald's was the enemy. Burger King was the enemy. And I know to most people that sounds extreme. Like, what do you mean McDonald's, Burger King? They're the enemy. For me, they, they were. Right. Because those are the corporations that put me on this unhealthy path to an early grave. And so I just I knew that. And then I was so thankful. Also, this is so crazy to have gone through what I did that middle of the night. Couldn't take it any second longer. I had to sneak out and get that Taco Bell. Because I was so angry and so filled with rage and then to realize that, well, if I eat that, I feel better. But with this weight loss surgery, I can't eat that crap for like three to six months. Mm. So I'm going to be forced to go through this detox. I don't have a choice, but I do have a choice once I come through that window and I can physically tolerate the foods again, I can choose not to reintroduce them. And I never did. Mm. I never did, not with fast food. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that has set me up for long-term success. And now obviously there's a whole hell of a lot more that goes into it. But even my surgeon, like after a year, year and a half, and he's like, man, you've lost a lot of weight. You're pretty close to your goal weight. Um, you need to eat a hamburger. Need. He didn't say should. He didn't say could. He said, you need to eat a hamburger. Essentially prescribed me a hamburger that day. Why? And, and I like realized at that point just how warped our system is. And I was like, that is literally the worst piece of advice that I've ever been given. Why did he say that? Any... Where did he say that? He Why? said that in no. his op. Why? Because he was worried I was going to continue to lose too much weight. Mm. He could have just as easily said, eh, dude, you know what? Eat an avocado or, mm. you know, you know, smear on a little extra peanut butter on your toast or something like that. Right. But no, he was like, you need to eat a hamburger. And I'm like, you're out of your bleeping mind, man. That's just not going to happen. And I wasn't even vegan. I wasn't thinking about being vegan. I wasn't thinking about being plant-based. But I did know that what that dude was doing was basically giving me a gun and putting a bullet in the chamber. Mm. But I never picked up the gun and I certainly never pulled the trigger because I knew that that was horrible advice and what would happen if I did. I've gotten that advice did. from doctors before, actually. To eat a hamburger? Yeah. When talking about like my my endometriosis or low iron levels or whatever, <clears throat> people will be like, oh, just you just need to eat a burger. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Is that real advice? 
it's crazy. It's so, crazy. It's the medical system though. I, I know there's mm. no nutrition training. So I have pity. And like, I love my surgeon as a human being. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. But like there needs to be this education. The mm -hmm. old me certainly would have been like hot diggity hamburger. And my doctor's telling me it's okay to eat it. Okay. Right. Dang. If he's saying to eat it, then it must be healthy. Right. Goes back mm -hmm. to what we were talking about with cheat days on Instagram and all that wacky stuff that people post. Right. But if a doctor is literally prescribing a patient a hamburger, fundamentally, there is something very wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited for you and I'm proud of you. And I think that's so sick what you have done. I mean, these stories, especially if someone is at the beginning of their journey, in the middle of their journey, it's hard to sometimes hear someone at the end of their journey because you hear, I mean, I'm not saying you're at the end of your journey, but you know what I mean? Like when it comes to this, this, uh, yeah. this part of it, it can feel like that's so far from where I'm at. But I think the important thing is to just take it one day at a time and to really just like come back to yourself, come back to your why, all of that stuff. And it, it can feel like these stories are important for inspiration, but don't let it overwhelm you, which I think is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, don't let it overwhelm you and find your own path and don't feel like you need to do something so drastic overnight. Just tune into that voice that you've had literally your entire life and mm. realize that that voice is going to steer you wrong. And I, I honestly think that if we've made poor decisions, there's that little voice that told you beforehand, like, Probably don't do shouldn't that do that yeah but you did it anyway right so just give that voice some power put it up on a pedestal it's your higher and, self yeah man and just know that you're worth it and you're going to be okay you're going to be okay mm. like the relationship with food is scary and you think like how could you possibly ever live without this or that and you can and not only will you you will thrive with it and as you said, and as you do, you're so talented in the kitchen. This is what makes you so damn incredible is that you can take these comfort foods that people have been wrapping themselves in as if they're a warm blanket their entire life to feel better mm. and make healthier versions of them that they can continue to enjoy in their new bodies with their newfound health well into the future for the rest of their life without worry about detrimental health side effects. Like you are giving people an incredible amount of power. And for that, I'm grateful to you. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. Hey, it's, it's a group effort here. <laughs> we're all, it is. you know, and with that said, I have a couple more questions and we're going to do a speed round, but I did want to ask you because you are the host of the exam room, which means that you have interviewed a lot of incredible people on your podcast. And I think one of the best things that I love about being a podcast host is just like these conversations. I feel like I learned so much. I feel like I've become a better person. I feel like I'm much more optimistic about the state of the world than I think I was before I was a podcast host. So what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of food based on what you've learned? Ooh, I think that slowly but surely what we've been talking about in terms of just a lack of nutrition education, that's changing. And mm. people are kind of opening their eyes. I don't believe that there is going to be this grand mass epiphany overnight. But the more young doctors I talk to who are coming up and the more colleges that I see now who are actually teaching kind of the fundamentals of lifestyle medicine, which include a massive dose of nutrition information for up and coming physicians, 
it can be a total game changer yeah. for our health. And that is what really excites me. But then also like that's on the younger side of things too. But then like on the older demographic, it's not like all hope is lost either. <laughs> With the exam, no, man, this is maybe just politically. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not having that discussion today, girl. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. You're so funny. But look, like a lot of people also, though, they tune into the show after they've gotten their own diagnosis. And a lot of mm -hmm. times they feel like all hope is lost. They've just been hit with, like, oh my God, I've got cancer. Oh my God, I've got diabetes. Um, I've got heart disease, right? Well, you're talking about making changes in your life that um, if nothing else, just in conjunction with the course of treatment that you've been prescribed, when you change your diet, man, like it can really kick your health back into overdrive. And so suddenly in a lot of cases, you'll see these diagnosis fully reversed, no more diabetes, no more heart disease, no more cancer, even in some cases. And like to see people get that spark, back in their eyes and know that even if they're in their seventies or their eighties, yeah. like they have their life back. Like that's some powerful stuff. I've, I've talked to people in their nineties who hadn't got off of the couch in years. Mm -hmm. And then because their hippie kid started forcing them to eat this, this whole food plant-based diet and they got their health back. It's like, they went from like just watching TV literally all day to now getting up and walking a mile or two in their nineties, every single day out in the fresh air, out in the sunshine, feeling like they have a purpose in life again. And like to see that spark in their eye and know that you can still have that zest for life at any age is the best feeling in the world to me. The yeah. best. Yeah. I love that. I think we really are starting to revolutionize the way that we view getting older and the way that we view our elder years, end of life, you know, I think even from being a kid, like my, my grandparents, they died early of heart disease, diabetes, cancer. And like, we all just kind of assume that like, when you get older, you just, you crumble to something like that. And I think, you know, I'm seeing with my parents, I'm slowly, slowly like pushing them towards their pescatarian, vegetarian. I'm like pushing them more towards more plant-based, more plant-based. But like even my dad, I've been able to get him off of his blood pressure medication that he's been on since he was 40. Ooh, go ahead, girl. And he's 67 yeah. now. So, you know, it's like we're really looking at aging completely differently and realizing that like you don't have to just be old sitting in front of the TV. If you have that food education, you can actually thrive in your older years. You know, you can yep. feel great. You don't have to just like slowly dwindle until you pass on to the whatever's next. Absolutely. You know, my, my joke now is just like, I want to die of nothing. I don't know <laughs> if that's possible. Yeah. Um, but that, that is my goal in life. Um, mm -hmm. or at the very least, you know, I don't want this big, long, pro, you know, prolonged mm -hmm. sickness to just take me down gradually. It's just yeah. like, let, let it happen quickly. And, uh, but let it happen at a, like a ripe old age, man. Right. Like, I mean, I, I didn't think I wanted 30 or I didn't think I was going to hit 30. Like now I want triple digits, right? Oh like, yeah. If I can hit a hundred, I'm feeling pretty damn good about things, you know? Totally. Well, I yeah. think it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, all of us in this, this industry and as the industry grows and as people understand plant-based food more, understand the food system, as we learn to change the food system, I think it's going to be really cool to see all of us age. 
you yeah. know, it's going to be cool to see yeah. what happens. I'm really excited about that aspect of it. Girl, and I want nothing more than to still be doing the exam room in my 90s. Hell and yeah. like, just to be like one of the OGs of the plant-based media movement. And like, you and I are still like <laughs> cutting up and carrying on doing doing shows together. Like, that could be a lot of fun, you know? Totally. It'll be all virtual reality and stuff by then, though. <laughs> AI, AI, AI. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So I end every episode with a little speed round. So I'm just going to ask you a question and then you'll just answer the first thing on your mind. Giddy up. Okay. What's your biggest passion outside your job? My wife, no doubt. Oh my God. Shout out Jules. I love this. What's your favorite thing about your wife? She's hot, oh my which God. is not the most PC thing in the world to say, but man, I had a crush on her like before I, like for years before I worked up the, you know, fortitude to talk to her and uh man am i glad that i did i love that yeah. Yeah. love your wife i love this okay are you an early bird or a night owl night owl 100 all right what is your nighttime routine nighttime routine is uh you want all the secrets i'm gonna look bad it's like typically it's like work till 10 you know but it's all like healthy stuff that i enjoy me too. doing me too <laughs> and then it's like okay well what's on you know, what's on the TV. Okay. Well, let me, let me watch some pro wrestling. Right. Cause I'm like an okay. undercover hick. I love pro wrestling and I love NASCAR and I don't hide it. So maybe it's not so undercover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, let me, let me veg out for like an hour or two and watch that. And then, you know, that's enough to reset the batteries, maybe play Wordle, call it a night and then, you know, go and try to save the world again with healthier things, uh, the next day. That's so funny. I have a very similar routine, just minus the the NASCAR. <laughs> you watch? Oh, oh! No. I was like minus the NASCAR. I was like, wait a minute. Does that mean that she's no. going to WrestleMania? Like, no, 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 no. I work here? late too, though. I like. Okay. I don't know. I, I work. I work the best at night. I, I don't know. Everyone's quiet. It's a nice time to like get it stuff is, done. Man. It's yeah. like it is me time. It's super totally. cool. By the way, you'd be super surprised at like some of these enormous names in our industry that freaking love pro wrestling. Really? They freaking love it. Yeah. I was, wow. yeah, I was going to go to WrestleMania this past year with somebody who was super, super famous in this uh, industry, but, um, but their wife had a baby and well, priorities. So oh, uh, they get a pass, but you better next believe time. we're going next year. Absolutely. That's interesting. I used to be really into UFC. I used to be a Muay Thai fighter. So ah. I used to watch UFC. Wait, wait, wait. You used to fight Muay Thai? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not messing with you. Yeah, You're gonna mess yeah. Me up. <laughs> but I'm trying to like go against the violence. Like I'm very like trying to stay peaceful in my mind. So I don't watch UFC anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. Okay. Uh, what is a big personal goal that you have for yourself this year? Uh, to continue to grow professionally. Like, mm. uh, I want to be the king of plant-based media. Um, not for selfish reasons, but because I find this to be a very powerful medium that can influence a lot of people to make very positive changes in their life and restore hope to them. And so my goal in being as big as I possibly can be in this industry and grow the podcast to be as big as it possibly can be, it's not to be, oh, that's Chuck. No, it's to touch as many lives as possible so that they can experience the same transformation that I did which restores your confidence in every facet of life. And you still get to wake up every single morning with this pinch me, like, is this really my life? Am I no longer trapped in this unhealthy body? Like, holy crap, I am truly version 2.0 and I'm grateful to be here. And that means that every day when you wake up is literally the start of the best day of your life. Hell yeah, I love that. Hey, I'm gonna need to get some podcast pointers from you then. All right, bring it on, girl. <laughs> I'm gonna be send the you queen of all media. 
We'll just be like healthy royalty over here. I love that. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite food in the world right now? Roasted Brussels sprouts. So easy, which is a little bit of a maple glaze there. Maybe a little bit of turmeric. I don't know if I'm feeling anti-inflammatory that day, but yeah, baby, roasted Brussels sprouts. And I never thought in a million bajillion years I would ever say that. Do you want my tip on how to make the best roasted Brussels sprouts? 1000% yes, please. Okay. Oven was always at 400. You want it hot. You preheat your sheet pan in the oven before you put the Brussels sprouts on it. So then the Brussels sprouts go on the preheated sheet pan and they sizzle. And that's oh. how you get them crispy. Now, do you blanch them ahead of time? I don't because okay. the oven's hot. Okay. The oven's hot. And it and actually how long do you like, roast? Um, it depends on the sprouts. Sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller. But I would say around like 15 minutes, Yo. maybe less. Yo. All right. They get crispy. They're perfect because once you put them directly on a hot sheet pan, you don't have to wait for the sheet pan to heat up. So they immediately start cooking. You see, you see, you see the it's knowledge the, that you're bringing into this world. Girl, <laughs> my life it's is better now. Thank you. You're welcome. Outstanding. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite? Well, we already talked about this. Your favorite way to unwind is watching NASCAR and NASCAR and wrestling. pro wrestling. Okay. Giddy up. Undercover hick. Who are you? Who or what are you most inspired by right now? Ooh, uh, my buddy, Will Bolsowitz. Um, mm. I love, love, love the gut health MD, the fiber yeah, of great. Pharaoh. Um, he and I just have a grand time when we get together on the exam room. And I just, I love the way that he's been able to grow personally and professionally. And he's such an inspiration for me on that front that like, I'm just kind of like watching him march and I'm like trying to march right alongside of him and keep up, man. Cause that guy's on the move. So Keep an eye on old Dr. B. Oh, totally. I had him on. He was like one of the first guests on my podcast, actually. Before Fiber Field came out. Yeah. yeah. And he asked me, he was like, well, when are you coming out with the book? And I was like, oh, I already have one in the works. And I didn't, but I just was like, I have one in the works. And then two weeks later, I got a book deal. So I was like, this is because I put this out there with Dr. B for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. To watch his career unfold has been like really dope. So and to cool. see just all the stuff that he's doing is really cool. And he's I just so smart. He he is, but like what people don't understand is like he is genuinely one of the nicest people on the face of the earth. He totally. is as genuine as they come, not fake in the least. Like he mm -hmm. is somebody you absolutely should put your stock in. He's so good. So 100%. Good. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll plug him below in the show notes so you guys can go check it out. All, the doctor um, all right. Just a couple more questions. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Hmm. Less stigma when it comes to food. Like mm. it's okay. We do not have to attack each other based off of what it is that we're eating. And I mean that on both sides of the aisle, because the more that we dig our heels in, the more swords that we throw, the more knives that we throw, the harder it's going to be to move the needle in the right direction. So live and let live lead by example. And only good things will happen as people see the ramifications that come with healthy eating, the positive ramifications. So important, such a powerful message. All right. What advice would you give your younger self? It's going to be okay, dude. Mm. Like it's going to be okay. Like I grew up really poor, uh, molested, just a lot of bad things. And like we were talking earlier about the scars. And so like, 
I just want to go back and talk to that dude who fought so hard to be this larger than life character because he thought that that's what he needed to be to be accepted by others and let him know that ye, there is so much love out there for yourself, both from yourself and from others. And it's okay to be your true self. You will still be accepted and you'll be accepted and you'll be healthy. And every day is going to be so much better than the days that you're living right now. And so just hang in there, bud. You're going to be fine. So sweet. <laughs> I love that. All right. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah. Believe in yourself. I mean, it's, it's, this is not like an act where people come on and they're like, Oh, you can do it. Ray Rob by my program it has nothing to do with that. Like literally you have the ability to do whatever it is that you want with your life, whether it's professionally, whether it's with your health, it does not matter. It's like, we all have the same tools in our proverbial tool chest. We just have to be unafraid to like roll up our sleeves and put in the work to do it. There's yeah. not always going to be a quick fix, but damn it, we're all carpenters in this life and we can build extraordinary things, extraordinary things and never sell yourself short. I promise you this, you can do it. All right. Well, with that, I'm just going to leave it right there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You rock, babe. Thank you. All right. That's our show today. Thank you so much to Chuck for coming on the show. And again, if you guys love this episode, be sure to give us some love over on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. If you're watching the show on YouTube, we do have all of our episodes over on YouTube. So you can watch them instead of just listening, which is kind of cool. And of course on Spotify as well, where you can watch and listen, which is a really cool new feature that they're doing. And we just really appreciate it. I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear your big takeaways from this episode and just hear where you guys sit with everything that we talked about. So I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're getting some sun, sun while also wearing sunscreen, which is also super important. And as always, um, eat your greens because we all need to eat our greens every single day. All right, y'all. I'll see you soon. I'll see you in the next one. Have an amazing day. Bye.